Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin. And I'm Mark. And we'll be your host for today's episode, Fiction First. Today, we sit down with our guest, Emmanuel, to talk about cyberpunk and fictional positioning. Welcome, Emmanuel. This game, I'm calling it cyberpunk, but do you want to disambiguate a little bit? You are not, you are not the developer of Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> or... Not its previous editions. <laughs> no, but uh, you are the developer of CBR plus PNK, which I have also heard called uh, Cobra Pink, uh, amongst many other things. Do, do you have a favorite <laughs> idiom for your game? Well, Cobra Pink is like very, very good, but <laughs> yes, I I call it a CBR plus PNK, and, but Cyber plus P, Cyber plus Punk is my favorite so far. Okay, I'm I don't have nothing written in stone right now since here in Brazil mm-hmm. where I did all the playtests, my friend called just cyberpunk that cyberpunk game of yours something like that so (laughs) i got the honor of playing this game a few weeks ago with my friend ray who's also been a host on this podcast and i really liked it one thing that viewers should know if you haven't checked it out yet is that this is a trifold game it fits on one sheet of paper essentially and it looks great so good job there are you actually, are you a graphic designer or is that a hobby of yours, by the way? Something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, I worked for almost seven years uh, doing graphic design and mm-hmm. in the in advertising agents here in Brazil. Mm-hmm. But my formation, my, my studies are in advertising in general. Gotcha. So... Graphic design per se is more like a curiosity for me, mm-hmm. a, a hobby, but I use a lot of the the things that I've learned when I'm doing my my stuff, my projects, my 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 games or, or comic books. I like to apply all those things. Yeah, it really shows in the design from the first look at your game. We get, you know, some animated imagery. We got vibrant colors. Very striking. You know, it's uh, it grabs you, I think, from the first look. Your use of the animated GIFs on the itch.io pages is just like, I'm just so jealous when I see that. <laughs> I heard a little bit about how you did it. And God, I want to figure out how to... <laughs> How to do that for my own games, because it's it's really eye-grabbing and such. But we're not here to just talk about the aesthetics of your game, though that is important, because this is a podcast, and it's really difficult for people to see <laughs> this with their eyes if they're just listening at work or what have you. Oh, they're looking right now. <laughs> I'm sure that they are looking. And we'll have links to your game that mm-hmm. you can follow for mm-hmm. folks uh, following along. Mm-hmm. But I also am curious about your uh, other design works. Emmanuel, can you tell us a little bit about other games that you've designed in the past just briefly like where did you when did you start designing what's the scene like in brazil that kind of stuff i would love to hear about that the scene here in brazil is growing exponentially Mm -hmm. every year and that got me so excited like four or five years ago when i met uh, the works of diogo nogueira 
mm-hmm. which is a very big name, especially in the OSR scene. He was releasing these games and he made all the illustrations. And I was like, I want to do that too. So I came back to the RPG as a, as a hobby. And when I came back, I got to know Diogo's work and all other Brazilians doing this great stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started to tinkering with, with the systems, my favorites, like OSR games. And because I, I didn't know by the time some of the more modern games, like Apocalypse World and, and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I got some small games play with my friends. One of them developed later to be Masmorra that I haven't launched in English yet, but I, I intend to this year. And also designing board games, especially card games, my favorite type of board game, tabletop game, other than RPGs. And that led me to Escape from Station 52, which is a card game for solo playing and inspired by movies like Aliens and Paint Horizon or games like Dead Space, which I love. I'm a big fan of Dead Space too. I would really love to see more horror RPGs with that aesthetic. I know that some people say things like Mothership and what have you can can do that, but I've not seen one that specifically is that is that kind of a trope before personally at least they hit it for me i'm also getting strong alien vibes from this escape from station 52 yeah (laughs) i love this franchise Mm -hmm. i've heard a lot in relation to brazil about the osr scene is that kind of the big indie scene is that kind of where it starts in Brazil is with OSR? Yes. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, D&D, like AD&D was pretty big here, mm-hmm. but a little later and in the USA, we got this black box, which is the easy to master edition of, of D&D. It was very, very popular here. And I guess because of that, many designers started and other other games became more famous based based on D&D. So because of that, I think that OSR is so big here. Do you find that there are many games that um, are kind of exclusive to Brazil or the Portuguese-speaking countries of the world? There are a few, yes. I compiled a collection on each with Brazilian games. Ooh, yeah. Mostly... RPGs and not exclusively OSR, all kinds of, of systems and modules and to try to propagate this these creations mm-hmm. through the world. All of them are in English, but there are works that I know of it's still not translated to English or any other language, just Portuguese. And there are big names here like Tormenta or ENT, which are really big, big RPGs. And like Tormenta raised uh, in a crowdfunding like 8 million reais recently. Ooh. Something like that. 
Wow. It is it's very, very big. It's been going for like 30 years already. Most of the beginners, they start playing those systems like Tormenta or 3DNT, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they are only in, in their Portuguese zone, as far as I know. I've had the pleasure of meeting a few and working with actually a few Portuguese speakers uh, from our Blades in the Dark Discord channel. I worked on a Scovland supplement for Blades in the Dark with Fernando. You can find online at uh, N-A-N-D-O-F-G on Twitter. And I believe one of our very own Discord members, Emma, is Portuguese. I've really loved to see the international scenes. I know that they've always existed, but the awareness of like different scenes internationally has been really cool for me to see. Um, I'm a big comics fan, too. And like the difficulty of getting Euro comics here in the USA has always like really bugged me <laughs> because of just how expensive and how inaccessible they can be to get in English, which is a rare thing for us English speakers, right? We usually get everything we want, <laughs> but sometimes indie stuff like RPGs and comics don't make it over. So we've talked a lot about the Brazilian scene, but I would really love to talk more about your game. So Cyberpunk is, like I said, a, a one page, like trifold game. What went into the decision to make it that low of a profile? Was that kind of a challenge for you to do? Mostly it was the challenge, yes. Mm -hmm. It started as a very small document on Google Docs. It was like six page long. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to make it larger than that. So I was thinking at first to make it just one pamphlet, but then I realized that the character sheet could be another one. Like you have the GM pamphlet and the player. So even though I wanted to make it the game bigger at some point, but the challenge was set. Mm -hmm. it, it should fit the both pamphlets and one of them the GM's pamphlet and the other the players so that's very specific it's the aesthetic I was going for and it's a pretty hot one as well I will say it's quite attractive I think from a player's perspective to be able to pick up a game look at it front back one page be ready to go right they fill it out and they're ready to go right mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of you know the Blades book has a lot of information on it but one thing John has always been good about with all of his games is John Harper, the designer of Blades in the Dark, for those who don't know, is having reference sheets that you can largely play the game from, at least as long so long as one person knows what they're doing. I find that that's true of Blades in the Dark anyway. If you have a GM who really knows the rules well, you can usually get by with just those play sheets. And your game is kind of like that but condensed to an even greater degree to the point where you can, you have the entire campaign of, you know, one session uh, <laughs> on, on that sheet. Was there anything that was a real challenge to cut from the game in order to make it fit into this format? Or was there anything you discovered along the way that was kind of a fun addition that came out of this process? There's this thing about the action role that I struggled the most to just fit it on one of the the sides of the pamphlet 
it was really hard to condense to be like that. And I have like 20 pages of Google Docs of versions of the, yeah. <laughs> of the procedure. So this was, this was the most challenging thing. And by the time I create the icons for the thread effect and the icon for the edge, not only it was very in-universe thing, like the, the use of icons and, and like this UI thing, this HUD thing, but, but also it provided me with a little, a little more space to work with. I was curious uh, about this design as well. What I really enjoy about this is that a discussion has to occur between your players and that will set the tone for the game and for what might be possible. Does that sound correct? Yes, yes. And uh, the thing I, I've learned was that the conversation was like, for me, it's the basis of, of Forging the Dark Games, the mm -hmm. conversation. So in the process of trimming down the all the process of the action role and setting position and effect, it, it felt like weird to not be like that. Like, like the way I put it was mm -hmm. the, the player sets how they are going to do the thing, what uh, approach are they using, the skill they're using, and gear. They, they need to think everything about it before they just... Like say, I would just jump, jump through the buildings and, and wait for the GM to say, oh, that's, that's like very risky or, or desperate, etc. So I like that the player takes a little bit more of that work of thinking about the, the, yeah. the fiction. And that, that turns the conversation is really important about setting the scene before that because of this. Like, but like how important, right? Like, is it, do you find that cyberpunk, I mean, I'm thinking about the genre, right? It almost self-describes itself. Yes. This, this, this is the thing about shorthand. When I decided to make it cyberpunk and given the, the time, like the, the releasing of cyberpunk 2077, etc. there was so much cyberpunk around you just like, Myself, I, I open my, my phone and there's cyberpunk jumping over my head. <laughs> so it is really easy when I just say you are in the streets of the city and everyone at the table just to imagine that cyberpunk feel. And they are just able to, do, to create, to add elements very easily because of that. It's just that. It's set. Cyberpunk as much as you want it to be. So the use of the, the generic setting, it's really important to make it much easier that conversation to be. That's something worth considering whenever, you know, if you're a hacker of Blades in the Dark, designing your own game, you really do need to consider how familiar people are with the genre that you're doing and with the material, because a lot of new information is going to require you to explain <laughs> a lot more and that may be desirable or it may not be. There have been some really amazing games with novel settings that 
have great writing that explains them, but you can't do that with a three page pamphlet game, I imagine, or at least it's a lot harder to do. <laughs> yeah, I definitely experienced this as I had thought about like, I, I'm, I'm also the author of uh, Runners in the Shadows. And I thought, you know, it would be great if this would fit on one page. But because I added all this fictional load, I was like, no, that's not going to work for me. You know, it'd have to be stripped down a little bit, you know, and uh, I noticed that it, I could have let go of that. You know, if if I took the approach that you did of uh, really just stick to the core aesthetic of the genre and highlight that, you know, it, it, it speaks for itself more than a game that has a lot of fantasy elements, you know. And that was a, an easy decision mm -hmm. because I wanted to be four one shots. If you was planning a game uh, where you play campaign mode or, or more longer, more longer games, that wouldn't be possible. So since you were, it was for one shots and people were, would be playing for like three to five or six hours, then it's much easier to, to, to make that call. I'd like to uh, highlight the pitch as well of the, of the game. It's not just that we're a team of runners, but it's our last run. <laughs> so mm -hmm. this, this really sets the stage for like, uh, I'm thinking high flying antics, you know, not caring as much about the outcomes and well, you want to survive, right? For the story, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's okay if you don't, <laughs> it's your last run. <laughs> well, Mark, having played the game, that, that part was really important for us because not only do we have an implied setting to rely on, but now we have this implied history that makes it a lot easier to do a one shot in the Forge in the Dark setting, because I think a lot of people have noted that Forge in the Dark is a difficult system to do one-shots in just because so many of the mechanics are campaign-centric. Right. And because growth of your character is so big of a deal. But from the get-go, Emmanuel, whenever you say, this is your last run, there's a lot of questions there that are really fun to answer about, like, who are we? Why have we been together all this time? And why are we still so dysfunctional? Because a lot of the, lot of the character choices really lend themselves to that kind of a uh, dynamic. Did you consciously go in to designing that element of it with the idea of an implied history for the team? No, not exactly. During the first playtest, I didn't even know that it was a playtest because it mm -hmm. was just this little little thing that I put together to play with some friends and they were they were like well we want to play some cyberpunk but we are not used to play RPG so please don't pick in just to complicate the game and by that time I, I was reading a lot of Blades in the Dark and, and Forge in the Dark games and I really wanted to, to try some, some of the things. So I put some things together, some, the action role, some, some small things. And I told them, okay, this, this is just a one shot. So don't worry about if your character is going to left without his army or, or just die, or if you are going to fail or not your mission. And because of that, when I saw what they did, what were the answers to the to the problems and the the ending of the thing, I was like, okay, this this can be this can be like a rule, right? This can be yeah. the thing about about this game, the expandable 
and almost retiring characters. If I may suggest, um, that's actually a great segue to our topic today of fiction first, because the way you just mentioned it as a rule, even though it's technically just part of the description of the game, is really intriguing to me. And how Forge in the Dark and PBTA games in particular conflate fiction and like description and mechanics and how they allow them to be very interchangeable. So while a lot of people would read, okay, it's it, this is your last score as just, I guess that's just the premise. You know, it's just the adventure we're on. But it is part of the rules. You know, it's part of the written material. And it actually affects the fiction quite a lot. So it should be given as much weight as anything else that you've written down as far as like plus 1D to X or how you how you make an action roll, how you set position and effect, etc. So you specifically asked Emmanuel to talk about the conflation of mechanics and narrative. Can you tell me what thoughts uh, Blades in the Dark have stirred up in you in, re- in this regard? Yes, this is something that I've discovered after a while reading and rereading the position effect and all the discussion going on the hack channel. I found that everything is just about this lists of words that create this imaginary, this, the fiction, right? The imaginary mm-hmm. action on the minds of everyone involved. So the roles, they just add to the to the thing, but everything happens inside that imaginary space. Mm-hmm. That was the, the core of the thing, the, the core of the, the game. Every time you say how you are going to do it, you are affecting as much as what gear you are using. It so so important to to the forging the dark games and that intrigues me very much about it and i i think i've scratched just 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 a little bit on what's possible with that i want to play a lot more with this yeah what i really uh, like is that you quickly highlight as well in your itch.io page some of the differences and one of those being that characters are differentiated by their combination of approaches with their skills and gear there's no playbooks which is to me just (laughs) mind-blowing but also uh, amazing right that'll mean that each character can be very different without any assumptions and i really appreciate that about the design could you talk about what that means to have no playbooks and how that maybe some of the weirdest character you've ever seen yes unfortunately i haven't seen much weirder characters I would love to, but it was a decision about the space I had. Like, it was just a pamphlet, and to make all those playbooks, even if I did just three, it's still a lot of space if I want to put all the other rules. So, at the time I was thinking about the game, I was like also trying to make games without classes, like classless systems. So that was one of the things that I tried to to make it here. Like you can make up your play just by choosing the approaches you are strongest Mm -hmm. and the the skills you're having. I find that some plays require that you give them some guidance. Like 
they want to make a infiltrator. Yeah. And if there's a if there's a playbook infiltrator, they'll just that, just pick that. But they don't easily just add some points in in cells and and some points in in assassinate or something like that. So maybe in the next iteration, I'll do some kind of role mechanics. But for now, I think it's it's very good to just let the imagination flow and just make any combination you want to, to make. Mm -hmm. and, and the cyberware, just being like open like that, like a fate aspect, right? Just make it much easier. I found there was plenty for me to make a character that was interesting just because kind of to tie the two conversations together, the choices you make about the cyberware, for example, whatever you think is cool, really affects like who you imagine your character to be. I know I chose to have basically camera eyes and that really focused my character in on kind of the influencer, like a really wild influencer type person who wanted to just record everything. Yeah, Lemon's Wild. He was an interesting character. I'll have to tell you about him sometime. But those decisions are, are mechanical decisions. You know, having the camera eyes helped me many times in that adventure. But the way that I used them was largely narrative. You know, the way that I described myself actually using those things started with the fiction first. You mentioned maybe next time you'll have some random tables. Are you thinking of designing more in the Forge in the Dark space? And do you have any thoughts to share with us on that? First of all, I just want to expand just a little bit mm -hmm. uh, of this game and make it maybe just some other genres with that system. Yeah. But I, I also want to play with rules for longer campaigns and something like that. I don't know if it's going to be using that system or just a new hack, but it's something that I, I want to, to play with more. Like crew advancements, uh, the gang wars, I, I don't remember how it's written in the book, but like the, the gang systems and the faction, the faction turns, etc. Ah, I see, yeah. Right, so long-term play, right, is the probably the only weakness so far I'm seeing. But it seems like you could actually turn this into a long-term game fairly easily just by incorporating some of the things that we know about downtime from Blades, for example. Or even just using the action system during your downtime, you know. that's That seems like a perfectly fun way to continue to play this game beyond a one-shot. I like the idea of a cyberpunk Forge in the Dark campaign that starts with this a one shot of of this game, <laughs> the one that supposedly is your last, and then it turns out not to be true. Um, <laughs> what a perfect question! Why is this not your last run <laughs> after you said it was? <laughs> Why wasn't that your last run? Yep. <laughs> Could be That's the start good. of your sequel game. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Another possibility is every session you make a new character mm -hmm. and the campaign is not about the characters but the cause it's something i'm thinking about and maybe you choose like a nemesis like an, a corporation or a, a person or the word hunger i don't know mm -hmm. so you just you 
just make all these runners doing things to achieve something in the end like that's really cool yeah you, like you want to throw down that corporation so all these runners doing these side jobs at the same time maybe you do something like you do a flashback and talk about no i encountered this this other run he helped me with that and then the next session you play what how that other runner encountered your previous character I like that a lot. And, and they are built up to, to throw down that corporation or something like that. Yeah, you're not just a crew. You actually are playing the cause and not, not the people, per se. I guess like the closest I've come to that in a Forge in the Dark game is maybe Band of Blades, I guess, because, because you are kind of the Legion. You're not really any one character, per se. I like that a lot. That resonates with me. The idea of cyberpunk heroes solving world hunger is maybe a little scary. <laughs> I shiver at the thought of how they would do that, um, but but we'll see. Yeah, how many how many runners does it take? You know, how many last <laughs> runs before you finally solve that problem? <laughs> All of them. Yeah, yeah, could be. So, Emmanuel, you want to iterate on this idea a bit? Can you tell me, how did you start getting into Forge in the Dark? Kind of to take it back to the beginning of our conversation. How did you start getting into Forge in the Dark specifically? Especially in a scene that, you know, has, is very OSR influenced. How did a modern game like Blades in the Dark come into your purview? I've met some of the uh, John Harper's work. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the first thing that I encountered was uh, World of Dungeons. Yes. It has this OSR aesthetic, and, and mm -hmm. that's how I I got into his work. And I played some late Blackbird, and mm. and by that time I he was developing Blades in the Dark. I think it was the the sixth version, something like that. And from that, it was very intriguing to me. I just wanted to play the game about thieves and rogues and in mm -hmm. this this steampunkish city and as soon as 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 soon as the blades book came out i found out about the discord and i i joined and i was like lurking the shadows <laughs> with all this thing of uh, these hackers doing all these things with the 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 rules of the game it was very inspiring for me yeah, there's definitely a renaissance going on right now, so to speak, with Blades in the Dark and Hacked in the Dark aesthetic. It, it's a wonderful time to be a designer, actually, if you think about compared to the OSR kind of baggage that comes along with that, the number of tables and fictional just conceits. <laughs> hey! Like, all of that, like that really I cut my teeth on, and I think John Harper would agree as well that they did as well. Uh, John will be quick to tell you that they're an OSR fan. Their GMing style leans towards this heavily. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've really latched onto that myself because I am one of those who believes in like a division of narrative power. And I think that John really just nailed it with the aesthetic, you know, the division of power that way with the Blades in the Dark system. And I see that there's more work to be done and that... This is definitely a step in the right direction, I think, towards that fictional power that I want to see, you know, for both player and GM. Emmanuel, I'm curious, 
jumping off of that, do you see room for something like fictional positioning as it is used in Blades in the Dark in more OSR like games personally? Do those two concepts mesh together well, potentially? I think so. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to try it with Masmora. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to redesign the, the, the core resolution system to include more of that. I think it's really important to navigate through all these this scenarios, these this communities. It's very really important to know what are they doing so you can incorporate to your, to your work. Uh, because of that, even though I don't agree with a lot of things the, the OSR community has been bringing up lately, but yeah, I still, still walk in that space and to see what, what I, can, I can take, uh, good ideas I can, I can take and yeah. remix with my work. So I can bring it, I can bring it something, something to it also. I think it's possible to do that. I would be really excited to see that because OSR is something that's fascinated me. I got into RPGs a little later than a lot of folks, you know, like maybe five years ago is when I kind of broke into the indie scene. And so I kind of missed a lot of the big OSR boom. But I love seeing people like you who, I mean, I actually think cyberpunk has some OSR elements in terms of how easy it is to play, which is a big component to me in a lot of the newer OSR games. So you mentioned this other game. Can you tell us a bit about that game? Uh, I, I'm not familiar with the work that you mentioned. What was it again? Uh, Masmora means dungeon in Portuguese. Ah. So it's going to be a dungeon delving game. But the important thing about it is that I want to make it as easy to play as this cyberpunk game that I, that I just released. Mm -hmm. So easy to pick up, uh, easy to, to, to play, and low burden for the GM. That's very important to me. Oh, yeah. More power to the players, more narrative power to the players, and, and, and freedom to create your characters. There's this movement adjacent to the OSR that FKR, I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's something like German or something like that. But they play the games with almost no rules and they create the rules as they go. And I find it so interesting that when I was reading about the procedure of this, this style of gaming, I was like, wait, but Forge in the Dark does this. Like all of this <laughs> is just fictional positioning. And then you make up a rule in, on the spot. So it's, it's just that those people need to know the words of John Harper <laughs> because they are just playing Forging the Dark games, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to, to bring some of that to, back to the OSR space. Like the importance of the fictional positioning. It's not just about fluff, as they say. They can be rules. They can affect the story as hard as the, the 20 on the 20 side dice, right? Yeah, I, I really enjoy that about the direction that your cabinet of curiosities is headed. It seems like you're, you're acting as an ambassador, you know? You're our ambassador to the OSR family of gamers that 
don't know. Whoa, let's not put that on the Manuel. <laughs> That's a big responsibility. Also, <laughs> this is still this still is and will always be Forged in the Dark. So thank you, Emmanuel, for joining us today and for all of your insights into cyberpunk or Cobra Pink. Let's let's just call it Cobra Pink. It's just easier. <laughs> I appreciate you being here and telling us a little bit about, about everything, really, but the, the Brazilian scene, about your design and about your past. If our listeners want to learn more about you and your games, where can they go? They can find me at Twitter at Emmanuel Mello, and they can find my games in my cabinet of curiosities at emmanuelmello.itch.io. Beautiful. Mark, do you have any plugs that you would like to make before we are out? I would just like to highlight that we have a stream going on right now for a cyberpunk forged in the dark game of my creation, Runners in the Shadows. You can find out more details about that on our YouTube channel or Twitch. We can't give you an address because that's the future. <laughs> but, but just rest assured that if you join our Hacked in the Dark YouTube channel, you can check out uh, Runners in the Shadows, which is a great cyberpunk take on Forge in the Dark games. And you can also find our playthrough of the Unusual Suspects campaign, where we went through and played playbooks and crew sheets, all from our Unusual Suspects jam which is basically a jam on itch in which a hundred playbooks were created or something by a bunch of different designers. And there isn't a single playbook in that game that is from the standard book. So, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think that by the time you might listen to this, there will be more. That's going to be my plug for today. So with all that said, this has been a great episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forged in the Dark games and their designers. Again, I'm Justin. And I was Mark. And remember, when it comes to design, we all begin our journey as Hacks in the Dark. Mm-hmm.